Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Each of our talks over the last couple of days centered around this theme that we called famous. And you know, when you hear famous, that's not a, a word that we use very often in the church. And yet, there is, uh, it, it's, it's a powerful theme when we reflect on it over a couple of days from God's Word. And one of the things we talked about Friday night when it, as it relates to famous is that, that fame is something we desire. Fame is something we want in our lives um, because it, it means that somebody acknowledges that we're there, that somebody knows us, that somebody loves us. We, we like fame for that. Maybe we like fame for what, it, what else it might bring us, but, but fame is something that we desire. But one of the things that we talked about was that fame in the world is something that is very temporary and it's very local. You might be famous, but you might be famous for a very short period of time. You might be famous, but you might just be famous in this spot, but not in that spot. And we talked about how Jesus is so different because Jesus is eternal, not temporary. Jesus is universally important no matter where we go. And so when we center our lives around Christ, it's not around something that is temporary or something that is local. It's something that has a global impact on all of our lives. We talked about that on Friday. Then on Saturday morning, we talked about how one of the ways that we pursue fame is by sharing parts of ourself online. You know, in the world today, there's, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, and, we, and, and people who use those mediums, we, we put pictures out, we put statements out um, with a desire for people to see our pictures, to hear our statements, and think, wow, those, they're really interesting, they're really funny, their life seems great, I want to get to know them more, those kinds of things. We're, we're sharing parts of ourselves, but we also talked about how all of us have an unshareable side. Though there are parts of us that we will freely share on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, there's things that we hope nobody ever finds out about us. And we talked about how the amazing truth of the gospel is that, that God sent Jesus into the world not to save the shareable part of us, the part that we want to project as our best side, but to, to save the unshareable part of us, to, to clean us of sin and unrighteousness and to reconcile us to God. And we talked about that on Saturday morning. And then last night, we, we, we talked about the opportunity that we have to live for the glory of God, to, to spread the fame of Jesus in every facet and every venue of our lives. And this morning, we're going to conclude this series by looking at another passage, a very important passage when it comes to determining life and purpose and really what life is all about in general. And, and we're going to look at that this morning from the book of Philippians. But before we get there, I want to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thank you for just this wonderful weekend, uh, this great group of students, um, the wonderful set of volunteers, um, the staff that have, that have overseen the process with them. Father, thank you for working in the lives of these students this, this weekend. Father, I pray that they would not walk with you just in a temporary period of time known as D-Now or in a temporal location like inside the walls of the church, but I pray that they would be a group of people who would walk with you for the rest of their days and on into eternal life. I pray that they would be a people who would follow you no matter where they are, whether it's inside a church or outside a church or in another country or in this country or wherever they are, Father. I pray that they would follow you. Um, Father, thank you for the chance you've given us to spend this time together. And Father, I thank you for this morning and for all of us who are here 
and the opportunity we have to look into your word together. Father, may you be lifted up. May you be glorified. Um, Father, we do not need to hear from me today, but we desperately need to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me just to get out of the way and allow your spirit to speak to your people through your word. And, Father, I pray that you would do that to your glory, um, for your honor, and that you would protect me and guide me in that process. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, every Tuesday, our staff team gets together for a staff meeting. And uh, we get together in a room over in the children's building, and we, we spend some time there kind of reflecting. We do a number of things when we get together. One of the things that we do when we get together as a staff is we'll spend some time praying. Um, we'll, we'll certainly open the meeting in prayer, but if there's a big event coming up, something happening, we'll, we'll take some time to stop and to pray. Um, some of you in this room have been prayed for in, in meetings like that. Uh, we, we've had an opportunity to get together and pray. One of the other things that we do when we get together is we have the opportunity to plan. Uh, we have the opportunity to look ahead, big events, how different things could uh, come together and what, what's needed from different ministries in order to pull something off and, and ideas and, and planning and brainstorming. That's also part of what we do when we get together. Um, but several months ago, we added another element to our staff meeting, and, and that is that we would share some, some wins, is what we called it. That we would take the time to, to share some ways in which we've seen God work. And, and we'll go around the room and say, who, who's seen a win this week? And, you know, this Tuesday, we'll probably have Jonathan um, who will say, hey, you know what? There was this great win this last week, and it was this event called D-Now. Maybe you've heard of it. There was these 15-foot trusses on the stage and a giant Simon board behind me. And, and it was really fun for us to get together and to, and, and, to, and, to, and to worship. And he'll talk about some life change that happened with some students, and it'll be a great time. We'll go, praise God. Thanks for sharing that. Um, then, then Brooke might stand up and say, hey, I, we had this great uh, opportunity that we had uh, some, some coordinator openings and God raised up some, some people to join our team and to help serve as coordinators in the nursery and in different areas. And this is something we got to celebrate just last week. We had some new coordinators joining the team and we, we praise God for that. Um, we, we take the opportunity to share some wins when we get together and it's been a great part of our staff meeting. But you know what's interesting? When we share wins, uh, typically the things that are shared are always things that work out in our favor. That's what we share, right? Um, and, and what we don't share whenever it's a time for win are things that maybe are a little more difficult. Um, we just kind of keep, keep silent in those, in those moments. You know, um, let's, let's say that I was going to be speaking this Sunday, and I had no idea what I was going to speak on, and, and I felt like when I read the Bible that it was making no sense to me, um, and it was really difficult, and I couldn't figure out where I wanted to go with a passage or something like that. Typically, I'm not going to say, hey, I have a win. I have no idea what this book means. Could somebody help me? Um, typically, I'm not going to share that as a win, right? Um, let's say that there's something that a staff person's been praying for for, for two weeks or two years or 10 years. They don't typically raise their hand and say, I have a win. I've been praying for this for 10 years, and, and we've still got no answer. Um, we typically don't associate wins with things that are difficult. We celebrate wins with things that feel like life, but we certainly don't associate a win with something that feels more like death or silence. Um, and yet, whenever I come to the God's Word, and I was reading in the book of Philippians chapter 1 this last week, what we see is that Winning in one is in a whole different category. And when the Apostle Paul shares about what it means to win in life, he doesn't just talk about it when things work out. He doesn't just talk about it in things that look like life. He talks about winning in things that look like death. 
And this is incredibly encouraging news for you and me. We, we need to hear this, we need to think about it, we need to ponder it, because my guess is that your week was not full of just triumphal moments. My guess is that, that your last week or your last month or your last year was not just great things. I mean, you probably, if I, you, there probably is maybe one person in here that would say, if you were to talk and describe your week, you know what? I shared Christ with a hundred people and all of them trusted in Jesus this last week. And you know what? Every morning I got up and spent an hour in God's word and I saw things I'd never seen before. And I was able to pray and connect with God in, in huge ways in this last week. And you know what? I went to work and they gave me a hundred thousand dollar raise and it was amazing. And then I came home and, and, and my house had grown overnight to have the extra room that I wanted it to have. It was amazing. You know, that's a win, right? That's how we think about it. And yet that's not our life, is it? There are things that happen in our life that feel much more like death, death than life. And yet when we think about the implications of relating to a God who is not temporary, a God who is not local, when we think of relating to him in every venue, every facet of our life, there's the very real possibility for us to give glory and praise to God everywhere we go in events that look like wins as well as in events that, that feel like death to us. And we see this in the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to see just a couple of things today that will help us define a little better um, when and winning in life. First thing we're going to see is this from Philippians chapter 1, 19 to 21. We're going to see that we are to glory in who won, not our wins. We're to glory in who won and not our wins. Um, we see this from the context and the experience of what Paul shares in these first few verses. See, the book of Philippians was written by the apostle Paul. Uh, you know, Paul was this man who had come into a relationship with Christ kind of late in the game, after Jesus had already been resurrected, after he had already ascended into heaven. Paul went from a persecutor of the church to a believer in Christ because Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, and, and Paul's life radically shifted and radically changed. And God would use Paul to spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. But spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire and planting churches in, in all these major cities around the Mediterranean was not something that came without a cost. See, as, as Paul would share the gospel, he, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was tried, all these kinds of things. And when we come to the book of Philippians, it was written during a season where the apostle Paul was in prison for his faith in Christ. And while he's in prison, he decides to pick up a pen and paper and write a letter to a church that he had connected with. The book of Philippians was a, just a letter that Paul wrote from prison to the church in the city of Philippi. He wrote them this letter to, to communicate with them and to encourage them in their faith in Christ. And it was preserved for us and inspired by God that we would have it included in our scripture and we could see God's very word inside of it. But Paul writes this letter to the Philippians while he is in jail. Uh, now, we might anticipate how Paul would have defined a win in that circumstance. You know, if, imagine if you are in prison, and, and this is not a, a, a nice prison. I don't know if there is such a thing as a nice prison. There probably isn't. But if there is a spectrum where there's the nicest prison in the world, and then there's the deepest, darkest dungeon, the prison that Paul is in is far, probably far closer to the deepest, darkest dungeon than the nicest prison in the world. He was in a Roman prison for his faith in Christ. It was not a pleasant place to be. 
And we might imagine that if Paul were to define a win in that situation, one of the things we might define, he might define as a win is what? Release from prison, right? I mean, if he's going to brainstorm, what would it look like for, for there to be a, a win or a victory here? It would mean that the doors of the prison would open up and Paul would walk right out. And there was precedent of God doing that in the past, in, in Peter's life and other that, 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 that God might release Paul from prison. We might think that that would be how he would have defined the win. Or we might think that Paul would define the win not in release from prison, but in the preservation of his life. Uh, there was a very real possibility that Paul was going to die. We see that from the context of the verses we're going to see here in just a second. He was reflecting on the fact that, that he very well could die in this prison, that they could execute him because of his profession of faith in Christ. And so he might have def defined the victory or the win as being released from prison, or he might have defined it as just the preservation of his life, that they would decide to leave him in that prison, but at least he would be able to live. Or a third possibility is that, that Paul might have defined his win or his victory as somehow looking to some future ministry success, right? That, that he would somehow be able to, to preach in prison and, and, and thousands of people might be able to come to faith in Christ or that he might have some kind of uh, success that would be demonstrable in some way. Um, those are some of the things that we might anticipate Paul thinking about as the win in the midst of this situation where he was in prison. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. He says something actually quite surprising when it comes to thinking of what he saw the win as looking like in this situation. Look at what it says, Philippians 1, 19 through 21. Paul writes and says, "'For I know that through your prayers "'and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, Paul begins that section talking about the certainty that he has of his deliverance. And when you read that, you might go, aha. Um, he was thinking of his release from prison. He was thinking of his preservation of life. But again, the context shows no certainty that he was going to get out. He says, I may die in here. He's getting ready to say that. So he doesn't mean in this his physical release or his, his physical life being preserved. Um, the word deliverance there in that first part of verse 19 is, is actually the word for salvation. I think what Paul was saying is, he was saying, you know what, even though I'm going through a rough time right now, I am quite certain that my future is secure in Christ. I'm quite certain that, that one day I will spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven. He's, he's certain of his deliverance, not certain of his release from prison, but certain of the end game. But while he was living his life on this planet, there was something that it says he was eagerly expecting. I love that phrase, eagerly expecting. It's, it's a phrase in the original language that has, brings to mind this very vivid word picture of somebody straining their neck to look down the road to see what is coming. There was something that, that Paul is on the edge of his seat just expectantly hoping to come next. There's something that he is thinking, this is what the win is. This is what I want to see happen. This is my greatest hope and desire in this situation. This is the win. What is it? Look at the verse. What, what is it that he is eagerly expecting? 
it's a hope. A hope that he will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. What an amazing statement. Rather than thinking of the win in terms of what would benefit him, you know what Paul says? He's thinking of the win in terms of what will make Christ look great. He says, what will be the win in this situation is if I persevere in my faith in Christ, if I have the courage to to remain strong with him so that at the end of the day, people won't go look at Paul released from prison. People will go look at Jesus who is so great regardless of what happens to Paul. And and Paul knew that that no matter what the physical circumstances were going to be in his life, there was going to be an opportunity, a venue, a, a place for Jesus to look great. He says it could happen in his life or it could happen in his death. It could happen if he was released from prison. And we, we, we might think about this. If, if his life was preserved, if he's released from prison, we can write that story pretty well. How could Jesus be made glorious in that situation? Well, people could sit and go, well, isn't Jesus great? He got his, his boy Paul out of prison. Praise God for that. Isn't Jesus great? He, he sustained him through that struggle and he saw him through to the other side. Isn't Jesus great? Though Paul could have died, he didn't. Isn't Jesus great? We, we write that story well. This is the story that we write all the time. Jesus will be glorified in my spouse's cancer if the cancer goes away. Jesus will be glorified in my marriage if there's repentance and restoration. Jesus will be glorified, um, you fill in the blanks. See, in the situations that feel like life, we're very accustomed to writing that story. But Paul says that Jesus can be glorified if that happens, but Jesus can also be glorified if something else happens. Jesus can be glorified in his life if Paul ends up dying in that dungeon. Jesus can be glorified in his death. That's why he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, no matter what happens, whether I live or whether I die a martyr's death, Jesus will receive glory and honor. Paul had taken the time to write a different story in his mind. He had taken the time to think of the world from Christ's perspective and think about how his death could also lead to the glory of God. Think about that. Paul's death in prison, if if that would have happened, and eventually Paul would be killed for his faith. Not on this day when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, but at a later time, Paul would die for his faith. Think about how his death led to Christ being glorified. You might remember last fall, we did a series here at Wildwood called uh, Frequently Asked Questions of Christianity, and we talked about evidences for the resurrection. One of the evidences for the resurrection that we have is that um, the followers of Christ believe so strongly that Jesus was raised from the dead that they would actually go all the way to the point of death because of that belief. And so when Paul persists in his faith in Christ all the way to the point of death, 2,000 years later, Jesus can receive glory as we can understand the truth of the gospel based on the testimony of his life. Not that Paul ends up looking good, but because Jesus looks great, it verifies and validates his, his resurrection because his followers stayed true to him. Even in, in Paul's day, his death would have been an opportunity for God to receive glory. As you see, the, the ability of Christ to sustain this man, his servant, all the way to the very end. See, 
Paul had taken the time to write a different story. He had taken the time to think through what it would look like for Christ to be glorified even when things don't totally work out. To glory in the one who won, Jesus, and not in our wins. To, to make him known and not to focus on what will be best for us in our comfort. Um, and you know what? This is something that we need to remember and we need to grab onto. And it's something we need to begin to apply more deeply into our lives. And there, there's a number of ways that we can do that. But one way I want to challenge you with in terms of how we can apply this truth is to challenge us in the way that we pray. You know, think of how this section began back in verse 19. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What, what Paul is saying is, he says, hey, thanks, church in Philippi. Thanks for praying for me. Because your prayer is a help to me to continue to embrace by faith this notion that Christ will bring my deliverance, that Christ brings my salvation, that continues to help focus him on this fact and focus on the glory of God and not just things working out in his favor. Uh, the idea of the prayers providing help is you can think of it almost like a hanger. Uh, the prayers of God's people for one another to remain strong and for God to be glorified become a hanger to give us shape and form when our souls feel wrinkled and weary. We can pray for one another um, not just that the situation will work out, but that Christ will be glorified in the way that we respond to whatever situation that we're facing. You know, you might be thinking, well, should we even be praying for physical healing? Should we even be praying for situations to work out? Absolutely, we should pray for those things. I mean, the New Testament is full of people bringing their sick friends to Jesus and asking him to heal them. We, we should bring our situations before the Lord, and we should ask for him to work in ways that seem best to us, but we, we should also just extend those prayers. We should pray not just that things will work out from our perspective, but we should pray that in all of what happens, that Jesus would be glorified, that he would be lifted up. That's what Paul was saying. That's what Paul was doing. And he connected it to the prayers of the Philippian people. And we can be a body of people that can support one another and pray not just for things to work out for us, but to pray that Christ would be honored and glorified in the way that we go through whatever he has for us. That's one way that we can apply it. But a second thing that we can do is I think it's helpful for us just to take some time and think through how Christ might be glorified if things don't work out in the struggle that we're currently facing. You know what? Everybody in this room has got a situation that's giving you some stress right now. Some of you, that stress is at a 10. Some of you, that stress is at a 2. But there's something that's bothering everybody in here right now. There's an uncertainty. There's an area that you would like to see go left and you hope it doesn't go right. There's an, an area of life that when you pause to pray, you're going to pray about this because that's what's in the forefront of your mind, and you're going to think, this is the way I want it to go. And what I want you to do to help fuel your prayer life, I want, I want you to do to help in, encourage your heart in this, is I want you to take some time today and really do this. I want you to take some time and write out how Christ might be glorified if the situation you're currently dealing with doesn't work out. If your parents go ahead and get a divorce, Write out what it looks like for Christ to be glorified. You're praying like crazy that they don't. You're praying like crazy they stay together. But if they break up, what would it look like for Christ to be glorified in your life in the midst of that process? 
What would it look like for Christ to be glorified if the job that you're hunting for, the job that you're searching, if you don't get that phone call back, if it falls through? What does it look like for Christ to be glorified in that situation? What would it look like for Christ to be glorified in the situation where you're praying like crazy that this health situation goes away? What would it look like if it, if it persists? What would it look like if it get, gets worse? How might Christ be glorified in that situation? Take the time to write that out and let that be a fuel for you and a hope for you and an encouragement for you that regardless of how things play out in your life, we have the opportunity to win because Christ can be glorious in those situations. You know, um, I, I've shared this story many times, but just the health struggles that we've experienced in our life with, with Kimberly's health and a kidney transplant and in various parts of that, um, you know, we're, we're very thankful. I mean, she's, her health is doing great right now, and we're able to give God praise and glory for that and all those kinds of things. Um, but you know what? Uh, if things had gone the other way, would we still be able to give praise and glory to God? I just got an email this morning from a member of our, our church who has had, that's been the experience of their story. And I was so encouraged that their focus was on God and his goodness and not on a bitterness. And that's because their hope is not in their comfort. Their hope is in Christ. Not in making themselves look good, but in making Christ look great. See, we glory in who won, not in our wins. One other thing I want us to see, though, I want us to see a second thing from this in verses 22 through 24, and that's this. We can do now what we cannot do later. We should do now what we cannot do later. Um, listen to what Paul says in verses 22 through 24. After saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is what Paul says. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What, a, what an amazing statement that is. I mean, imagine, remember, Paul is in a dungeon. Paul is in a, a deep and a dark place. And he's weighing his options here. He says, you know what? If, if they come in with a sword tomorrow and take me out and I die then I'm going to experience a significant upgrade in accommodations. He's going to go from a dungeon to the presence of Christ. That is amazing, right? But he says he's hard-pressed between the choices of staying in the dungeon or of going to be beside Christ. And you know what? That, that's the dilemma really that we're all in, right? We, we, we know, I mean, if you've gone through hard times and you know Christ, you've got this hope for the future of being with him, and, and you know it's painful to be a part of your life right now and physical ailment or whatever it is, um, but you, you have this sense of you want to stay. Why? Because you have a sense that your life still has some purpose and meaning here. There's some people that you love and care about, and you want to invest more in them in the time that you have. And that's exactly what, what Paul was saying. He says, you know, my, my, I'm torn between staying here and ministering to you, church in Philippi, we're going to be with Jesus. He, he knew that, that what he could do now serving Jesus in this generation was something that he would not do later. He had one opportunity to serve Christ with his life in this generation. 
and he was hard-pressed between the two. He would go on in verse 25 to say, therefore, I'm convinced that Jesus is going to keep me right here because he had a sense that there was more ministry, more life that, 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 that Christ had for Paul. And you know what? He was right. Uh, this letter was written in about 61 A.D., when it was written, there were three books of the New Testament that Paul was to write that he still had not written yet. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Um, if Christ had called Paul home, um, where would those three letters have been? But there was still ministry that, that Jesus had for Paul, and so he left him on this planet. And I think that it's, it's very powerful for us to think about uh, the implication of what the fact that we're still drawing breath on this planet, what that means. It means that God still has a purpose for us in our lives. He still wants to use us because there's something that we can do now that we can't do later. You know, Paul was not going to be like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? In the Star Wars movies, Obi-Wan kept coming back and talking to him in this little ghosty shadow. That, that's not the way it works in real life. That's not the way it works um, in the church. Paul had one opportunity in this life to serve the church in Philippi, and he believed that God still had some opportunities for him to do that while he was on this earth. That was his purpose. And you know what? If you are still drawing breath on this planet, then God's purpose for you today is to serve him now. And serving him now um, is, is true for, for every person in this room, if you know Christ, from the, whether you're a middle school student or whether you are a full-grown adult, whether you're in college right now or whether your kids have just gotten out of college and you're hoping to pay off the loans soon. Wherever you are in that spectrum of people and time, if you're drawing breath on the planet, then you are here because God has more purpose for your life, that he wants to, to serve people through you as you make his name great. You know, sometimes those serving opportunities are things that will come with a badge and a title, and they'll come in places like this. You know, there's a number of serving opportunities around Wildwood where you have the opportunity to serve others, whether it's as a greeter, whether it's as an usher, whether it's a part of the worship team, whether it's over in the children's ministry or, or, or down in our student ministry or college ministry or leading a small group. I mean, there's so many different ways that you could get involved in serving in kind of official church kind of ways. But there are so many other ways that you can get involved in serving because remember, we serve and know a God who is not temporary and is not local. Therefore, we can serve him and see him glorified in every facet and every venue of our life. We can see Christ glorified and we can serve him as we minister to our family by showing them what it looks like to live a life of somebody trusting in God. We can, we can serve Christ and make his name glorious in our school by by doing our work diligently, by respecting our, our, our teachers, those kinds of things. We can do that in our job by being a great employee. When opportunity presents itself that we could also be telling people about the reason for our hope and the reason for our change, but that we have the opportunity to just live out a life on this planet that shows that our hope is found in something besides just wanting everything to work out in our perfect little plan. Because the reality is that it won't work out like your perfect plan. If it's worked out that way for you up to this point, congratulations, but it will change. Something will change. But even when what looks like a loss comes along, there's an opportunity for us to win by making Christ's name great. We have the opportunity to make Jesus famous in our world. And that happens by us walking with him, whether it looks like life 
or whether it looks like death. Pray with me. Father, I I just want to thank you for just the opportunity to be together today and to have our perspective reshaped around your word and your truth. Father, we uh, too often think of the purpose of life being that things work out for us, that we get what we want, that that's our greatest hope. But Father, thank you that in real time you showed us through Paul's life um, the benefit and the blessing of not just living our lives uh, for us, but living our lives for you and for your glory and the eternal impact that can have. Father, thank you that you give us the privilege of doing now what we can't do later, serving you in this generation. Father, with the time that we have, the breath that we have left on this planet, may we glorify you in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to close with us reading a passage of Scripture here and I'm going to ask if you stand as we hear God's Word. It says, Because I know that through your encouragement and prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus, Son of God, I will soon be released from this dark place. I don't expect that dishonor and shame will plague me in any way, but I do hope that I will continue to be able to speak freely and courageously about Jesus, and that now and forever the Anointed One, Jesus Himself, will be glorified and placed above all else through this body of mine, whether I live or whether I die. For my life is about Jesus and Him alone, and my death, when that comes, will mean great gain for me. So if it's His will that I go on serving here, my work will be fruitful for the message. I honestly wouldn't know how or what to choose. I'd be hard-pressed to decide. I lean toward leaving this world to be with Jesus because I can only think that would be much better. But to stay in this body of flesh, even with all of its pains and weaknesses, would best serve your needs. Let's go before the Lord and sing praise to the one who is higher than all others. Thank you.